1580. It is time for Mornings with the Mayor. And if you're on the 10 freeway, I know you're feeling us right now. She's the 43rd mayor of the city of Los Angeles, the first woman and the second African-American to be elected as the city's chief executive, longtime community organizer, Mayor Karen Bass. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing, Dominique? <laughs> good, good. Did you like your walk-on music? Uh, just feeling that free way of love. <laughs> Absolutely. Love it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we were all expecting the 10 freeway to be closed. I was for months, at least a month yes. and a half. Um, Me too. We, yeah, or two or who knows how long. Anyone who's ever had a uh, contractors in their house knows <laughs> could be a while. So congratulations on that accomplishment. Uh, well, thank you. And, you know, I just have to tell you the first few days after the fire, we thought it was going to have to come down. And so mm. when we got the news that structurally it was sound, uh, I was just beside myself because I also have such vivid memories of 94 when the 10 was down for yes. three months. Right, and everyone said that was Mayor Reardon's shining moment because he was able to get it back up in three months, and that was a big deal. Um, so this is certainly a win for you, for the governor, and for all Angelinos. Absolutely, and that's what's most important. 300,000 cars a day travel that route. So it's a win for Angelinos, no question. I saw, speaking of Talking Point Tuesday, I saw an editorial, I think it might have been in the Daily News, where it said that this crisis proved or disproved the talking point that as a community organizer and lawmaker, elected official, you could not effectively function as a chief executive. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think that so much of that was just the campaign. There was no particular reason for that narrative, especially considering that I served as speaker in California during the last recession when we were worried about the entire state of California going off a cliff. So I figured something out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we, there are lingering concerns about what caused this, right? Um, this right. That's right. Rental of stuff underneath freeways and what is combustible and what other hazards may be lurking. What are we doing about that at this point? Well, I have to tell you, Dominique, I know I certainly wasn't aware, and I think most Angelinos weren't, that this is common practice, not in L.A., not in California, around the country. Um, freeway space underneath is leased out to a variety of folks. But guess what? I found out that one of the main uh, entities that leases the property is the city of Los Angeles. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the first thing I did was made sure our own house was in order. And apparently it is. I had all of the uh, areas inspected and primarily we use it to store vehicles. Uh, the problem in this situation was this individual was completely corrupt he was stealing from people because he turned around and was subleasing the property out to businesses and then not paying the rent. So I think he was collecting something like $24,000 a month, and he was only being charged $6,000 a month by the state of California, and he wasn't even paying that. So it raised wow. that issue as well. But all of the property has been inspected, and there are a couple of places that 
uh, we have to be concerned about. But for the most part, everything is okay. My big concern during the whole crisis was that I didn't want to see it being blamed inappropriately on the homeless individuals that were nearby, because this fire was started inside an, a fenced-in area. It was not a fire that spread from an encampment. That much we know for sure. We also know that it was arson, but we don't know who the arsonist was. So that obviously is still under investigation. That's an open case. Exactly. That's really disturbing, but also it's good to hear that specific reasoning why we know it wasn't the house list because those whispers have continued despite you're putting forward uh, the evidence to the contrary. Well, and I think it'll continue until the person is captured, but there is a photo uh, from uh, security cameras and there's a person of interest. And so I'm sure at some point um, this individual will be identified and arrested. One of the arguments we made, speaking of the campaign trail for why you would be a great mayor, is that you do have these relationships in Sacramento, in Washington, and throughout Southern California. Tell me how all of those elements came together to solve this crisis. Uh, well, absolutely. And um, I will tell you that it has been consistent. It's, you know, the federal, state, county, and city have all come together around addressing the unhoused as well. But uh, what happened is right after the fire, uh, Secretary Buttigieg called and said, just want to make sure if there's anything you need, uh, let us know. The governor texted me right away and said, you know, uh, that he was available. I asked him to come down right away, which he did. And so, and the county, of course, was there. So these, the, the unity that we've been building all year has been great, and it makes it so it's now a simple phone call as opposed to an appointment and a meeting and all of these things. You know, everybody has everybody's cell phones, and we do not hesitate to pick up and call or text. And that's the way it should be. That's the way government should work. Right. Well, I'm glad it's working that way for those of us who are in LA. I also know that some of the businesses around that freeway disaster were impacted, and you now have a program in place to work with those folks. Absolutely. So that's the other thing, too, that we learned a lot about is all of the impacted businesses. And these are small businesses. You know, most of them are uh, minority owned. I went and met with a couple of the businesses. And what happened is, is that their customers stopped coming. Now, they, they weren't they're not retail businesses. They're warehouses. And so, you know, they supply smaller markets. They supply uh, individual uh, other businesses. And so their traffic was off by 40%. That's a huge blow financially. Even if it was just for a few days, it was still a huge blow. So we do have financial assistance that um, is available for them, and hopefully they will be able to apply. And we there's also application assistance, too, from the business improvement districts. So those applications are available through the city website? Yes, they're available through the city website. That's right. Mayor Bass, I know you have emphasized since day one, even before day one in office, that there are all these jobs in the city that need to be filled, that are good jobs. What's the progress like on that project of getting more people, especially, I'm going to say, from our community in the pipeline good. to get these jobs? 
good. That is wonderful. And you know what? Maybe we could spend some time doing a show about that because yeah. we have been having job fairs. We could have a job fair over, over the air and tell people, That'd be great. Have, you know, different jobs promoted. But when, when we do have a job fair, people can apply right on the spot. Uh, and technically, with some jobs, they can be hired right on the spot. We did one, I would say, about three weeks ago um, at Do- near Dodger Stadium. And uh, we had hundreds of people come in, and there were booths uh, advertising all sorts of city jobs. There's about 7,000 vacancies. In sanitation alone, there's 900 vacancies. And there's a lot of different types of sanitation jobs. But you wonder why you see trash in the city. You wonder why the street lights are out. Well, there's not the staff to uh, repair all that's needed in our city. So we definitely need to increase our workforce. And I know there were some obstacles that you were looking at taking down as far as the testing protocols and different policies to get into some of these more desirable jobs. How's that going? Yeah, that is going fine. Um, For example, the jobs where I mentioned that you could get hired right away, uh, you don't take the test to get hired, but you do take the test later on. So it's a temporary emergency hire, and then down the line you take the test. Which gives people time to prepare and to get into those spots. Um, We are talking with Mayor Karen Bass. There's an article, an opinion piece in the Los Angeles Times on yesterday discussing the controversy, if you want to call it that, around Los Angeles residential hotels and a new executive order by Mayor Karen Bass to sort of change the formula of what those can be used for. Uh, Pete White from the Community Action Network wrote a critical piece on Instagram. I want to get Mayor Bassis, I want to get your thoughts on this, how uh, that change is going to impact the supply of permanent housing, if it will, and what this means for the residential hotels of Los Angeles, which have been a staple of low-income housing, albeit fraught with all kinds of problems in terms of the maintenance and the quality of life there. Mayor Karen Bass is our guest. Mornings with the Mayor on KBLA Talk 1580. A safe place to go loud. loud, loud. A great place for progressive politics. KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. And we're talking with the 43rd Mayor of the City of Los Angeles, Karen Bass. Um, before the break, I teed up this question based on this editorial in the Los Angeles Times, the piece that Pete White did on social media regarding Executive Directive 1 and the conversation about these hotels, the residential hotels, many of which house very low-income folks. Some of them are pretty run down. We also know that some of them have been used as regular tourist hotels, even though the city's policy mandates that they not be used as such. Talk to me about this controversy. They're saying that by you changing the rules around residential hotels to use them as temporary housing, it will reduce the amount of permanent housing available. Yes, I um, frankly don't understand that concern. I mean, the bottom line is, is that we got to get our people off the street. And so when we're using them as temporary, temporary for some people can be up to a year, a year and a half. 
So, for example, the people that we uh, were able to get out of tents in December, they're still at motels. So temporary doesn't mean like a couple of weeks or a couple of months. One of the things that I learned, and I certainly didn't realize this uh, in the beginning, is that when you are waiting for permanent housing, even though we have expedited the building of permanent housing and people now are housing is coming online rapidly that didn't happen before, it still takes months. And what I don't believe in is that you leave people on the street while you're waiting to build housing. So if a year, a year and a half is too short of a time, I'm not really sure the problem with that. The other thing is, is that, frankly, some of those places I would never want to consider permanent (laughs) because they're in such disrepair. I don't want somebody in an SRO, a single residency occupancy, where they have to share a bathroom and you call that permanent housing. You know what I mean? So uh, and I'm just using that as as a comparison. I don't know that I would want to say for the next five years, this is where you're going to be. Right. I guess the question is. If those some of those units are now being used as tourist housing, I don't know what houses that's a different what issue. tourists want to live in an SRO during their stay in LA, but apparently that's happening. Will right. this new policy stop that from happening? Will it make the city more strict on those SRO owners so that when we take folks from tents and put them in the SROs, they don't even have to displace longer-term residents. Right. Well, I mean, I'm definitely concerned about that. You know, in other words, it being used at like a uh, a regular hotel uh, for tourists. We definitely want to make sure that we have that housing. But let me just say in general, Dominique, when we pass a policy, sometimes there are unintended consequences. And when those unintended consequences surface, it needs to be corrected. So I don't think that, and sometimes unintended consequences don't surface until until months or years later when conditions change. That's what happened with the mental health money that voters passed years ago. It was great when it was first passed. Then conditions changed. It's no longer great. Now it's actually a hindrance. So we're going to have to go back to the ballot in, in March to change what was passed before. So I do not rule out that some of the things we've done have caused negative unintended consequences. And if that's the case, they will be corrected. They have to be tweaked, right? And so maybe I was conflating these two different issues because the editorial in the LA Times is talking about the fast tracking of some of this affordable housing um, so that developers who are doing 100% affordable buildings can skip some of the hoops they normally would jump through to get those buildings up. And this particular editorial says that policy has caused some residents in South LA to be displaced and that there are some special exceptions for wealthier areas so that they don't have to have apartment buildings in the middle of residential areas. And so that it may end up being disproportionately of a burden on the lower income folks. Right, and and let me just uh, talk about that for a few minutes. Again, if it turns out that there's some unintended consequences, we will fix it. I do think that the editorial uh, is wrong. Uh, and uh, let me give you an example. If people are displaced, 
they have the right to come back and they will be assisted. Now, I'm really examining that because, you know, a lot of times that winds up being lip service. You know what I mean? And I want to make sure that it is not lip service. Like, yeah, you give me the right to return and then you build something new and I can't afford it. Mm. So I am definitely going to look at that and make sure that we are aggressively assisting people if anyone is displaced. The opinion piece is talking about the potential displacement of 60 folks. What the opinion piece does not mention is the 3,000 units that were built in South L.A. because South L.A. needs more affordable housing. So I think that, you know, some people are rather and some organizations are rather rigid in their perspective. But I really wish they would come on board and help us eliminate the barriers that leave so many people on our street. And that's what I have found a shocking absence of activism Hmm. around removing the barriers, the barriers that we've been able to remove. For example, somebody in a tent can't get housed until they prove that they're poor. Well, why didn't people go after that barrier years ago? Yeah, that was basically a HUD regulation. It wasn't even a law. It was a regulation. And I worked with Secretary Fudge for months, and we got a waiver so that a person in a tent no longer has to prove their income, or a person in a tent has to have a government ID. Well, if I don't have an address, how do you expect me to have a government ID? So we got those waived. So I really wish that there was more activism around identifying barriers that keep people on the street, and uh, and I don't find that to be the case. Mm. Well, it does seem to me that if we know that the majority or a huge percentage, disproportionate percentage of unhoused people are black people, that it is logical that you would build more affordable housing in South L.A. where we tend to live. Well, and also it's the leadership of the council members in South L.A. that has made sure that that has happened. Harris Dawson, Price, now Heather Hutt, before Mark Ridley Thomas and Herb Wesson. You know, they got together and made sure that the affordable housing was there. Black folks, as we know, are 8% of the city and over 30% of the unhoused. Yeah. Now, I also believe that everybody around the city has to have skin in the game and that housing does have to be built everywhere, including in more affluent areas, which is why I salute Tracy Park and Katie Arslowski because they are fighting back with their own voters to make sure that affordable and transitional housing is built in their more affluent neighborhoods. Yeah, I was going to say that because I know that you've been really strong on saying, especially temporary housing cannot only be built in South LA. But when we're talking about creating permanent, a supportive, I mean, permanent affordable housing, that must be built in South LA. Well, all of it, all of it needs to be built everywhere. All of it. Mm. Affordable, market rate, low income, all of it needs. You know, you know that we are actually under a requirement to build 500,000 units of housing in the next 10 years or we face uh, penalties from the state. Now, that's a heck of a lot of housing. You have to build that everywhere. Yeah, that is a heck of a lot of housing. So it's 50,000 units a year or something, um, which seems pretty hard to reach. Exactly. It is. It is. That's absolutely the case, especially when 
I mean, I don't know. We'll see how many we build uh, this year, but I, I know it's under 10,000 a year are wow. built. Mayor Bass, I can't believe it's been a year already that you've been in office. That's right. Uh, give me your snapshot of how you feel your first year has gone. Well, I will tell you, it's been such an exciting year for me personally to be able to be home again, but to address the issues that we were talking about years ago, Dominique, when I was at Community Coalition in the 90s, we were trying to get our folks housed. The difference is, is that the unhoused were only in South LA and Skid Row. Now that they're everywhere... You know, it has become a citywide crisis. We would have never imagined these numbers years ago. But working on that, you know, working on uh, community safety, working on business, you know, there have been so many issues, the crises that have come up, the hurricane, mm-hmm. the earthquake, the freeway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been an exhilarating year, and it's hard for me to believe that 12 months have gone by because it feels like it's been more like three or four months. What are you most pleased with in the past 12 months? how easy it is to get people out of tents, especially Mm. because the common perception was people were going to resist, they weren't going to leave, and what were we going to do about it? And we have had the exact opposite problem. More people want to leave than we have rooms. If I was able to have enough rooms, I think 95% of street homelessness would be over. Our people do not want to be on the street. Nobody wants to live like that. And we've given them an opportunity to have an alternative. And it's not, it, hey, it's, it, it's not perfect. There's all kinds of problems. I could, I could use two of your shows to spend time telling you about all of the problems and challenges that we have encountered. The most important one, I believe, is that when we're able to get people off the street, the services that we provide is less than adequate. And so that has been a very big focus of mine. And then also to move people out of motels and into permanent housing much, much faster. Those are the two largest uh, obstacles, but many, many problems. But it is it gives me so much fulfillment to go out and do outreach with the outreach uh, team, many of whom are our full-time staff were unhoused at one point in time, or formerly incarcerated, or they're people in recovery. Our outreach team uh, goes out every day, and when I have the opportunity to go out with them and to talk to folks and to watch them leave the streets, there's nothing more rewarding than that. It does feel like momentum, Mayor Bass. I've been pleased to see the reporting on it, honestly, Mm -hmm. and the spirit of... Angelinos from all different walks of life are feeling like we can beat this, not overnight, but we can progress and we can do better. You know what a minister said to me yesterday, and this was like the best. He said that he got all of this food ready uh, for Thanksgiving and he was going to take it to an encampment, the encampment on Venice by the 405. And he said, and he went out there and there was no one there. (laughs) Wow. That is great news. Just a minute left. What's our call to action one year in for the KBLA delegation? How do we help you help us? Well, you know, um, we need to make sure that our community is organized. We have the Olympics coming up. We have the World Cup coming up. We need to make sure that we can take advantage of those opportunities for our small businesses or people who want to start businesses, get them started now 
because in a few years we'll have the Olympics, and then making sure that our people are employed in good union-paying jobs with benefits and pensions, getting our folks, you know, to work. Uh, and then, you know, moving forward with continuing to get people off the street. That's the marching orders. That's the marching orders. We have to pay attention. Help us do it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, congratulations to you, uh, Mayor Bass, on year one. And I know uh, I sure appreciate you joining us monthly. I know we'll get a chance to talk about the March elections maybe next time. And uh, thank you once again for opening up that 10 freeway for us. <laughs> absolutely. And thank you for always being in touch and having the pulse of the community. Thank you. Talk soon. Appreciate you. Time for news, traffic, and sports. And then I'll be analyzing what Mayor Bass said with Dr. Nee Corlai Corte and you if you want to get in on the conversation. Mornings with the Mayor on KBLA Talk 1580.